Amen. Please be seated. And if you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 4. If you have read ahead this morning or are familiar with our text, you may feel that there's been a jump forward in time. It is quite possible that this is true. We have been um, talking about cosmic events, overarching world-building events, if you will, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. At about the middle of Genesis 2, we started a zoomed-in focus on mankind. Um, And then in Genesis 3, we specifically focused on the fall and the consequences of it. But from here forward... In the book of Genesis and and anywhere else you find yourself in the Bible, really, um, you will notice that it is mainly about people and about families and about nations. Um, We will follow a um, mostly linear progression, really asking ourselves an important question, a question that was posed last week in the consequences of the fall. Who is the one to come? Who is the promised Messiah? Who will be that deliverer? And we must check every generation against that question, looking and hoping much like they would look and hope for that one to come. Because God didn't put a time stamp on when that would happen. When God promised Adam and Eve a deliverer out of your seed, it very well could be this first generation. And we will get a chance to evaluate that today and Lord willing, next week as well. As we read about the first family, Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain and Abel. In doing that uh, this morning, we are going to walk away with not only an understanding of this promised seed and if Cain or Abel is that fulfillment, But we're also going to get a little better sense of who God is, and in particular, how he is to be worshipped. I will make the case for you this morning that this section, uh, the first seven verses of chapter 4, is specifically about the worship of God. So with that as an introduction, look with me to Genesis chapter 4 as we read together God's word. I will be reading the first seven verses. Would you follow along with me? Now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. May he place these truths upon all of our hearts and bless the hearing of it. Would you go with me now in prayer and ask for his guidance and wisdom during this time? 
Dear Heavenly Father, as we read your word, your word for us today, your word given to us because we need it and it applies to our lives, to our situations, where we find ourselves, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, awaken us, calls us to love you and to love our neighbors more deeply calls us to think about how we worship and how we come to worship and what we do in worship and what we think when we worship. Not because we want to get something from it, not because we believe you owe us anything, but because you are worthy and you and you alone deserve all of us. And so, Father, I pray that your word would have its effect today. Do this, O Father, through your Holy Spirit, and in the name of Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Considering the major events we have witnessed to this point in the book of Genesis, I think it is safe to assume that Adam and Eve should, at this point, have a high view of God. While we do not exactly know what uh, family worship would have been like for them, We can, again, assume that they would teach their family what it means to love and to fear God, to respect Him, and to obey. You might say that this would lead to a reverence for God. Another way to put it, Adam and Eve and their family and those after them would have sought to worship God, specifically as God would have wanted them to worship However, the problem we find quickly with fallen man is again and again, man either wants to worship himself or worship God in a way that he does not prescribe. And we don't have a lot of information on what has been prescribed at this point. Um, We do believe that what um, Adam and Eve and his family would have done and lived out and carried out would be in line with the rest of God's word. And so we can look at the biblical account, particularly the Mosaic laws, and we can really come to a sense on what worship could have looked like for this first family. And in fact, by considering our text carefully, we walk away with three aspects of worship. Three aspects that should be present in our worship itself. And that's what I want to focus our attention on this morning. Um, First, I do want us to see that faith is necessary in worship. Um, When we're talking about worshiping God, as God prescribes, faith is at the forefront of our worship. Secondly, I I want us to see that, that God determines what is acceptable worship. It is not man, but God that gets to determine what is acceptable worship and what is not. And then thirdly, and as a consequence of that, I want us to see that it's our heart that matters just as much, if not most, when it comes to what we do in worship. So not only what we do or how we do it, but the motivations behind it, our heart, actions, and attitudes will impact how we worship God. And we see each of these in our text. So let's... um. Let's follow along with that outline in mind, beginning in verse 1. 
really trying to understand the necessity of faith in our worship. Our text does begin um, with Adam and Eve producing a child. Um, in the biblical sense, um, it, it uses um, no. Um, often in scripture, uh, this phrase is used to uh, speak of sexual activity. Now, I don't want to overemphasize this point, um, but at the same time, um, let me just say that sexual intimacy within the confines of marriage um, is essential in order to produce a happy and healthy relationship. In fact, the only time the Bible recommends um, uh, withholding sexual intimacy uh, from your marriage relationship, which is between one man and one woman under God, we can talk about that elsewhere in Scripture, but um, is during a brief time of prayer. You can go to 1 Corinthians 7 for a great treatise on that. Um, that prayer is the only thing that should abstain a married couple uh, from engaging in intimacy. And even that should be very limited uh, lest you fall into temptation. So we shouldn't be ashamed or shy away when this passage opens with Adam and Eve slept together in a sexual way and produced a child. In fact, we should look at that and say, praise God for fulfilling their God-given task. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. This name translates, if you look at this first child, if you look at this uh, first son, you could um, say that he is something produced. Uh, you can say that his name means to be acquired. This is why Eve makes this declaration. You know, she has a son um, and says, I have been given this man from the help of the Lord because God gave him to her. She acquired him from God. And, and before we go further um, and, and fully understand the implications of this, I do want you to make notice of a few things about this declaration she makes because it really is quite remarkable. The first thing we see with Eve, um, and, and this this gives us a clue at the level of faith she has in that declaration, I have gotten a man. Think about that for a moment. Adam and Eve were um, created as, as fully functioning adults, um, but their children weren't. She says, I have gotten a man. Well, Cain would not have been born a man. He would have been born a baby. Um, that's how the process works. If he would have lived to adulthood, then she would be able to say, I have a man. My son is a man. But here he is a baby, a newborn. So what is Eve saying when she makes this statement? Well, what she is saying is, I have faith in God to see this child to adulthood. I have faith that God has provided me a man. She could be alluding to uh, perhaps he's the one to fulfill the promise. So she is, is, is speaking this faithfully that God will deliver on his word to um, offer a seed that will defeat uh, the seed of the serpent. Um, we're not sure if that's what she's got in mind, but she does have in mind, I've been given a man by the Lord. There's a level of faith in that that I, I don't want us to miss. And the second thing um, I don't want us to miss in, in this proclamation is that by the Lord part. Eve fully and completely recognizes and understands where her child came from. Now, in the technical sense, 
Sperm joining with egg and growing into a new baby is a biological process that humans are programmed for. Now, lest you're worried, I'm getting too extra biblical on that statement. That is biologically what takes place in an oversimplified fashion. But at the same time, I fully ascribe to Psalm 139, which says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We realize that God takes an intimate and active role in our life from the very point of conception forward. Quite literally, taking this poetic text forward, picking this DNA strand with that one, picking this character trait, that recessive gene, and mixing them together exactly, precisely, with purpose for you. You are a result of that interweaving process by God. In fact, I don't know how you can study the human anatomy, that you can take a look at the genetic structure and not conclude that there's a creator. Eve understood this from the very first child that was produced. She had never witnessed this before. This was new. This was brand new, first time ever, and she declares, God has done this. Praise be to God. God is even more gracious to Eve. We know that not only does she produce a son named Cain, but again, she conceives and she produces a son, and this one is named Abel. Again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. Each child became responsible for a different aspect of creation. Each followed in the mandate given to their parents to work and have dominion, to create, to grow, to control and provide. Now, let us pause just for a moment and ask ourselves... How does this relate to the worship of God? Because I've told you, this passage specifically relates to and explains for us God's worship or rightly worshiping Him. Well, the Shorter Catechism says our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I would argue we rightly glorify God when we fulfill His calling on our lives. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. When we live out our God-called lives with joy, we are enacting in worship of God. Eve was specifically commissioned by God and called to have children. And so when she does, when God gives her children, when she carries out that task that he created her for, what does she do? She praises God. Praise God for allowing me to fulfill my life's work and my life's calling. She has faith in God, and God 
blesses her in that task. Likewise, we are all called in different ways. We are all gifted in different ways. Many times in the New Testament, we're we're told some are given to preach, others to teach, some to prayer, others to acts of service and love. Wherever God has called you, whatever task he has given you for the church, and he has tasked you for the church, when you do that, and you do that with joy, and you, you do that not expecting something from it, but just to give out of all that God has done for you, you are worshiping him. You're doing so in a way that glorifies him, and it blesses his church, and it will enrich your life. Your life. And so we see Eve in her display of faith and in her, her fulfilling of her God-given task, glorifying him. We could say worshiping. Now, that may lead you to a question. What is acceptable worship? What do you mean when I rightly worship God? We can talk about that in our second section. So turn with me there uh, to consider that God determines what is acceptable worship. As we follow the biblical narrative in time, both Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. And we need to be careful here when we consider what they brought. Some have taken the place of God and stated, Abel's offering is accepted because it was an animal sacrifice. Cain's was rejected because he brought grain. But if you go to the book of Leviticus and you read through it, you will find out that there are a multitude of times that grain is an acceptable and appropriate offering unto the Lord for specific reasons and for particular purposes. So be very careful when we look at this and we ask what is acceptable worship that you don't take God's place and say this is good because of this and this is not because of this. Let's let God determine what is accepted and what isn't. And in fact, um, John Calvin um, in, in this section says this, this must be maintained Both Cain and Abel exercise themselves in labors approved by God and necessary to the common use of human life. Whence it is inferred, they have been instructed by their father. The right of sacrificing more fully confirms this. It approves that they have been accustomed to the worship of God. So both men are offering sacrifices to the Lord. That's not where things go wrong. Their actions were correct would be another way to think of this. They understood at some level, most likely from their father, that God is to be worshipped and feared, reverently, of course. But as we look at the particulars, as we look at the details, Cain, it says, brings an offering from the ground. Abel brings of the firstborn of the flock along with the fat portions. And what we, what we notice as we unpack this section is there's a little bit of a reversal taking place. I don't know if you caught it or not. Because in the naming of Cain and Abel, Cain gets this grand entrance. God has produced a son for me. He will be Cain because he is produced or he has been given from the Lord. And Eve had a second child and named him Abel. Now they both worked in, worked in their task little bit of a shortcoming for that second child there. But here, we get the opposite of that, don't we? Cain gives an offering from the ground to the Lord. Now Abel. Abel provides a sacrifice of the first fruits of his work. 
And not only that, but he also brings the fat portions or the prime choice section of his animals in his sacrifice before God. The consequence or the result of that is that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain he had no regard. We could think of that as the Lord was pleased with or accepted the offering of Abel and was not pleased with or did not accept the offering of Cain. So what's going on here? They both brought sacrifices. They both offered them to the Lord. We assume in a way appropriate for God. But why is Abel regarded and Cain not? Before we answer that, we need to make something very clear. We don't get to determine the answer to that question. Adam did not get to determine the answer to that question. Cain nor Abel got to determine the answer to that question. God got to determine the answer to that question. And so as we think about rightly worshiping God, it is important, it is imperative that we understand that God is the one that prescribes how we worship. And when we really think about it, we come to a simple conclusion. Cain's offering was a simple offering. No mention is given of it being the first fruit or the choicest of the harvest. It's not mentioned that he gladly or with joy brings it to the Lord, but that he made an offering unto the Lord from the ground. But Abel, when we, when we do look at that descriptive text, he is in more, more in line with what we'll see later in Scripture, what we'll see actually prescribed in the Mosaic Law, an unblemished, a flawless, a firstborn Give of the best that you have. Make a sacrifice that costs you something. These are some of the implications we could take from the Levitical law and from the other mandates that God gives. And and when we think about it that way, we do start to see that Abel's offering falls a lot more in line with that, where Cain's does not. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Because we're not making ritual sacrifice today. This is not taking place anymore. Well, if nothing else, we should take this passage and others like it. We should conclude that we must be very careful in how we approach God. We should be examining ourselves. We do a great job of that when it comes time to partake of the Lord's Supper. But really and truly, we should be examining ourselves all the time. We should be going to bed in preparation for worship for the Lord's day. We should be waking up with the energy and effort and mindset that we're going to worship God. We should be preparing our hearts. We should be preparing our attitudes. We should be throughout the service really focusing on each aspect and and what we're saying to God. Not just blindly singing or following along. Not just reading the prayers rotely, but really God, you said we cannot make any other gods before you. And then when we get to the prayer, God, I, I, I've messed up. I know this is about a 45-second window, so I'm just going to focus on the first of the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to talk to you about how I didn't do what I just said I'm going to do. That's the difference in right worship. It's what we do. It's with the right mindset. It's how we do it. In fact, Jesus says, I mean, simply put, if you want to know how to rightly worship God, he makes it real easy. Love the Lord your God with 
all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. All. In, in, in Hebrew, um, that mind, soul, heart, and strength, that, that phrase would encompass the totality of the human. Jesus is saying to rightly worship God, to rightly love him as he would have you love him, is for everything about you, who you are, to be in line with him. Now, this creates a bit of a problem, doesn't it? How many of us do this? How many of us truly worship, give, love, and serve, honor God in this way? From time to time, all of us, myself chief amongst you, are very prone to give an offering of worship that looks more like the sacrifice of Cain than that of Abel. And let me be even more honest with you. Even if externally everything looks right, even if you're very attentive with the confession, even if you are very quick to have that check ready and to, to give to the offering or at the beginning of the month you um, do it online or however you do it, um, even if everything about you looks right and, and we were to look at you and go, wow, what a holy person, they're really following this, we would have to be able to examine your heart to get to the true bottom. I would not be able to tell if your worship is, is right before God or not because I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know your attitude or your, behind your actions. I don't know your motivations behind your actions. And so it's one thing to do the right thing, but it's even more so to do so with the right intent and the right purpose. And we really see this in our text in the response. So they both have given offerings. Cain is not regarded, Abel is. And then the Lord comes to Cain. Look with me at our final section to see how this plays out. And we don't know how this was revealed to Cain, but Cain does come to understand that Abel is regarded while he isn't. And instead of humbling himself, instead of taking that as a learning experience, instead of using that as an opportunity to say, Lord, um, I got this wrong, help me, fix me, change me, work in my life, he takes a different path. Cain was very angry and his face fell. Again, referencing Calvin, he says on this verse, when Moses says his countenance fell, he means not only was he seized with a sudden vehement anger, that from a, but also from a lingering sadness, he cherished a feeling so malignant that he was wasting with envy. He was being eaten up from the inside out with anger and envy toward God and toward his brother. There does not seem to be any inclination of humility or willingness to correct his mistake. You can also translate his face fell um, as depressed and defeated. He was angry, depressed, and defeated. He felt defeated by God and defeated by his brother. But the Lord is kind, isn't he? And the Lord does not leave him alone. The Lord does not leave him to wonder what has he done and how to fix it. The Lord speaks to Cain. The Lord instructs him. I see what's going on, Cain. It's not good. 
But if you follow my commands, if you obey me here, there is a path to forgiveness and correction. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desires are contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God reveals in this statement he's not doing well. You see, Cain, while it looked like everything he did was right, his heart was not in the right place. His heart was not focused on worshiping God. It was more appeasing God or receiving blessing from God. It was on meeting the technical requirements of the command. And we know this from the offerings earlier. It's almost even overlooked. Cain made an offering to the Lord from the ground, but Abel gave of the first fruits, sacrificed of the fatty portions. Cain was interested in meeting the minimum requirement. And God warns him. God says, sin is crouching at the door of your heart and its desires are against you. If you do not change the direction of your heart, you will be overcome by sin. You have to join us next week to find out how Cain reacts to that. Does he obey the Lord? Does he yield his heart to God's plea? Does he follow God's outline for right worship and receive blessing and love? Or does he take a darker path? Or you can just read ahead this week, um, which I encourage you to do. Um, and in fact, you've only got to go one more verse to get the answer. But back to our understanding of worship. This has created an even greater problem now. Because earlier we were mentioning that your actions have to be right. What you do must be in line with what God has prescribed. But now we see that it's far, far worse. Because not only do we have to do the right thing, but we have to do it with the right heart. See the problem? The only way to do this is to have a heart transplant. We far too often are like Cain, angry and depressed because God has not honored us. We have given what we declare to be our best, and God has not reciprocated with favor and blessing like we thought we would get. Even worse, we see others who seem to be blessed by the Lord and conclude, why did God favor them and not me? We have bad hearts. We are desperate need of a transplant if we are having to have any hopes of living. And dear friends, what if I were to tell you this morning that that's what the gospel does? You are in desperate, immediate, right now, this second, in need of a transplant or you are at risk of death. And at the same time, I can hear say to you in confidence, trust Jesus Christ, receive the transplant. You're on the donor list. You've got one who's already ready to give. In fact, he's given. It's there for you to receive. Take it. Trust in him. By faith, receive him. Change your heart. And then see how your attitude, your actions, your behaviors, your thoughts, your patterns of life are completely changed. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied about this. He spoke of what the Lord wants for you as he spoke over Israel. He said this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will pour within you. 
I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You can obey God. You can love God. You can walk in his statutes. More so, you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Even more than that, you will be my people. And if that was not enough, I will be your God. I will deliver you from all of your uncleanliness. Do you want to walk rightly before God today? Do you want to worship him in a way that is pleasing unto him? Are you tired of bringing sacrifice after sacrifice and it not being regarded? And trust in Jesus Christ. As I have had the blessing of walking with many of you, I know that you've received this transplant. And as you're sitting there today, you're, you're saying, praise the Lord. But you also may find yourself asking this morning, well, my offerings, they look so small. They look so pitiable. Yes, I trust in Jesus Christ, but I'm afraid what I'm bringing is not enough. Well, I'm here to tell you, the Pharisees dumped buckets of money in the offering plate. And yet the widow who gave two tiny mites had said she gave more than they. It's not the gift. It's the attitude and the heart direction of the giver. Because here's what happens. When you trust in Jesus Christ, when you receive that new heart transplant... And you're walking with God and you, you bring that offering, you bring that worship. Maybe you found yourself here this morning and you're a bit discouraged because you're doing everything you can. But, but yet you've also got to keep your, your child from, from attacking the other one. You've got to keep them from sneezing on the person in front of them. And, and you've, you've done the best you can this morning and you find yourself going, oh, Aaron, this is so hard. I just, I'm trying to get through this bulletin. I'm trying to pay attention. I'm trying to follow the order of worship because God deserves it well here's what God does he looks at you like you look at that little child that two-year-old that brings you that painting and you're like I have no idea what this is it's a picture of the zoo oh, of course it's a picture of the zoo what, what a great picture of the zoo he loves it and he cherishes it not because it's good but because you're his that's what you need this morning it's not the, the offering that you're bringing. It's the heart behind it. And we see that when we look at Cain and we look at Abel. And while it doesn't say it in the text, we know that Abel's heart was toward the Lord. That he cared about God. He loved God and he loved who God is and what God has done for him. And sadly, we know in his brother Cain that it was all about what will God give me for this? What can I get? How can I escape punishment? How can I flee a difficult situation and it's not easy and we are going to mess it up and we are going to stumble along the way but that's okay for when God takes out that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh even though we walk stumbly to him we walk to him we can and we do through his grace by faith we're called to worship him, and, and the, the wonderful thing, and I'll conclude with this, is then we're able. Once we get to this place, then we're able to say, okay, God, how would you like me to worship you? And then through his sanctification and through him making us more and more like him, we're, to, we're able to say, okay, now I can do it. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is.
That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's how he calls each of us to worship today. And I pray that you know this in your life today, right now. May this be the truth of your heart. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do not leave us unaware on how we should worship you. We are called to offer ourselves to become living sacrifices unto you. We're called to give all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love toward our neighbor as if they were our very self. And Father, as we read those words and we listen to the commands, we come to the conclusion that we can't do it. That our offering is not sufficient. And Lord, we come even more so to recognize that it's our heart that's not sufficient. And we need help. Lord, I thank you for the sons, for Cain and for Abel. And I thank you for their displays of either trust in you or trust in themselves. May each one of us, Father, recognize our need for you. And recognize that in you is the only hope. In you is the only way to peace and comfort and rest. And when we do trust in you, we are able, as, as weakly as we can, bring offerings that are in line with your word, and you receive them, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and what you've done through your son. Sanctify us, O oh Lord. Help us to live out our lives as acts of worship, rightly before you, as you have called us to, through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, by Jesus Christ. Amen.